There's a widely held belief that Kristen Buchanan is a Western Australian girl who came to the New South Wales Central Coast to begin her training career. That is not the case. She was born and reared on the Central Coast and was in her mid-teens when her parents moved to WA for family reasons. Kristen later enrolled at Perth's Murdoch University to undertake a degree in biomedical science, but after two years, switched to biology and exercise physiology, which she successfully completed. To help pay for those uni fees, Kristen rode track work for leading trainer Neville Parnham and later pre-trained horses for Parnham and other trainers. She made the move back to the East Coast in 2007 and worked for Iskander Racing and Breeding for about two years. And it was 2009 when she began her training career on the Central Coast and has slowly made her mark with some very notable training performances. Kristen is based on Wyong Racecourse. She has 20 horses in work and she's online to talk to me now on the podcast. Good day, Kristen, and thanks for your time. Good morning, John. Thank you for inviting me. Well, life has turned the full circle for you, hasn't it? You're back where you started on the beautiful <laughs> Central Coast. Yes, yep. Nowhere I'd rather be. I love being here. Well, Mum and Dad were not at all interested in horses back in the early days, but by the same token, they were very supportive when you wanted your first pony. Well, I was. I had to harass them for a number of years before I finally broke them down and got my own <laughs> way. But um, my dad worked for Qantas and was away a lot. My mum didn't have any horsey background, but they, you know, they took me for riding lessons when I was four. And from then on, it was uh, I pressured them and pressured them and pressured them until I, yeah, finally got my first pony when I was nine. Part of your education actually took place at the famous New England Girls' School at Armadale which just happened to have a riding school. How convenient. Well, it was the draw card for me. I think I probably we probably all would have stayed on the coast had I not, you know, seen that and really wanted to go. And then mum and dad told me if I managed to win a scholarship to help pay for my fees that, that we'd uh, shift to Armadale. And um, anyway, so I made it my business to to get the scholarship, which I did, and, uh, and then... They they had to leave the Central Coast and, and bought a farm in Armadale and, you know, went from there. It was a wonderful school to go to at, at, uh, in terms of education and um, and just just seizing opportunities, I think, was the best part of it. It was a wonderful school for that. Family circumstances took you to Perth when you were in your mid-teens and you couldn't wait to enrol at the Murdoch University. Now, initially, you wanted to do vet science, but that didn't work out. No, I was um, I was always animal crazy, and I knew that I, I wanted to work with animals, especially horses. So my my um, my first idea was to do vet science, and uh, and specialise in the equine field. Um, unfortunately, with all my riding activities, I didn't <laughs> didn't really have the application for my grade that was required. I didn't do too badly, but, but I missed out on the you know the really high scores necessary to get straight into vet science. So. Um, uh, decided to change tax and started out in a course of biomedical sciences, which was a common first year to vet science with the idea to swap over. Mm. And um, again, required excellent grades to do so and a lot of application. And I was always distracted by the horses. I could never no. quite knuckle down enough to, 
to do what was required. Christian, would you say that grounding you received in biology and exercise physiology has helped you in your subsequent career with horses? Look, absolutely. I think it combined with um, with you know horse skills has been an amazing. It's, it's been a fantastic background for me. Um, a science degree ultimately teaches you to think and analyze information, and um, and you know you're doing that. It's such an important skill to have with with horse racing. You you've got so many different elements involved, not just their fitness, you know, race program, everything, and and filtering and analysing information is absolutely critical. And I think a science degree for me was really taught me to think that way um, or helped me to think that way more so. And I, I certainly carried that forward. A, a lot of the topics crossed over, um, mm. you know, your exercise physiology and things like that. The principles are, are similar, uh, recovery, intensity, that kind of thing, um, measuring your results. All of that has helped me. Uh, with the training, definitely. So my my expensive education wasn't wasn't wasted. <laughs> yeah, worthwhile. You rode track work for a long time for Neville Parnham, one of Australia's most successful trainers and very highly respected. You couldn't help but learn being around people like that, Kristen. Yep, absolutely. And the best thing about Nifty and and his crew were that they were a very good trainer, but also a very kind and relaxed man, you know, like he, he allowed you to, and his staff, Paul Grantham that ran the farm where I was mainly based, they allowed you to learn. They let you do the treatments on the horses. They they let you experiment with different ideas and, and, and make suggestions about working horses different ways. It wasn't just their way or the highway. It was a real team effort to try and get the horses right. And, um, you know, you, you learn not to just be a robot. You you think about what the horses need and you have input and you feel valued. So mm. I really landed on my feet getting a job there first up. You and your parents eventually invested in a 20-acre property out near Lark Hill where the very famous training facility is situated today. You put in a little track and you became a horse breaker and a pre-trainer and few people realise how much experience you've crammed into your life so far. <laughs> yeah, I just, well, I always did, I've always done now what I've, what I've loved. Um, and so I think for anyone in horses, it, there's, it's fairly intensive. And um, I don't know, I, I, I liked, I liked learning things and I, but I really loved working with the horses. So when I made up my mind to have a go myself and start dabbling in, I loved educating the horses. I've always really enjoyed breaking in and working with youngsters. Still do to this day, except I don't have much time to do breaking in. I, I leave that mm. to some very capable people. But um, yeah, look, you, you do, and there's so there's so much fun to be had. You need you have to cram in as much as you possibly can, don't you? Mm. So you started from scratch in the pre-training and breaking business. Did you get pretty good support from others? Uh, you know, others apart from Neville Parnham. Uh, yeah, Vernon Brockman. He sent me plenty of horses. Uh, he was based down at Lark Hill as well. Very good trainer at the time. Um, we had a number of other small trainers. I used to have ten or twelve in work at any time and probably break in thirty to forty a season. Um, so I had enough to certainly had enough to keep me busy, especially while I was still studying at, at university. Mm. Well, when the time was right, Kristen, you came back to the East Coast and you got a job with a company called Iskander in Sydney. 
What were your duties there? You were there for two years. <laughs> I was there for two years. It was a wonderful job. Um, I realised I had the... I had the horsey and the science backgrounds, but no business acumen to speak of. And to be to survive in this game and and run a stable, you really have to have all the spokes in the wheel. So I I could recognise that I didn't have those skills, and I wanted a job with a good racing company where I could learn more the marketing side of it and um, managing owners and and speaking to people, going to sales, things like that. Um, so I've got a wonderful job. Got my foot in the door with Sharif Iskander. Um, he was a fantastic boss, very interesting man, um, an entrepreneur and uh, lots and lots and lots of ideas and, uh, you know, part of my job was, was following up on those ideas and, and helping to facilitate them, uh, stallion noms, buying horses at sales, Hong Kong clients, things like that. Uh, it was a wonderful experience and, um, yeah, really helped me look at the business side of things from a from a different angle. Okay, let's fast forward now to 2009. You hang up your sign, K. Buchanan Horse Trainer. <laughs> I think you actually bought a few second-hand horses to get started. Well, one of them was uh, Strong Gain, who through, through Sharif and through Suman Hedge, uh, he was a horse that was in Hong Kong and um, – He'd, he'd broken down, he'd had a suspensory injury and uh, they were either going to have to have him put down or import him back to Australia. Mm. So my partner at the time, Andrew, and I uh, paid for him to come back and got him back here. And he was my first Metropolitan winner in Sydney. Mm. Uh, so we got him back, got him sound and um, and got started with him. And, and, you know, that immediately lifted the, our profile and mm. from then on, People started sending a few horses here and there, but again, fairly small to start out with. And when I began, I was still working for uh, Iskander's remotely and um, and going into the office a couple of times a week in Sydney. So just just gradually got the ball rolling. Well, a certain mayor came into your life in 2012, who remains to this day your all-time favourite. Her name was Two Blue. She finished racing only two and a half years ago with a record of 42 starts, eight wins and 17 placings and a lot of prize money, 692000 in fact. She was troubled with bone chips early in her career. Well, she around the five-year-old mark she was, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, we discovered that. her uh, It was affecting her and we had her operated on then. But early on, she was quite a... Difficult filly, hot-headed. Um, she could be a bit troublesome in the barriers, very thin-skinned and sensitive. Uh, but she was all racehorse and I was absolutely blessed to have her come into my life. Um, and to this day, Ken and Leanne Dennis and, and Bruce Mackey that, you know, organised that at the start, they're still big supporters of the stable. Um, Ken and Leanne especially have a number of horses with me and she just opened so many doors for me. She was a, a blessing. Well, you would don a wetsuit quite often. <laughs> you would jump into the Wyong River with Two Blue and the pair of you became a very familiar sight to the locals. <laughs> yeah, we had to do a lot of swimming with her and uh, at that stage we didn't have a pool at Wyong, so um, that was the order of the day. It's fun in summer, it's not quite so fun in winter, mm. but um, she 
you know, we used to swimming a lot with her and she loved going down to the river and having a peek. And we still occasionally take a horse down there that wants a little bit of freshen up and something different to do. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I love that. I think I was doing it when I was eight months pregnant with Mackenzie still. Yes, yeah, <laughs> goodness me. Well, at her fourth start, Kristen, she won a benchmark 80 at Rose Hill with Blake, Shing on, uh, Blake Shin on board. And um, Blake, of course, bounced back at Randwick at his first day riding uh, since returning from the nasty injury, and everybody in racing was delighted to see him do that. Uh, but he rode this mare for you in a benchmark 80 a few years back now, and uh, I guess you've got a soft spot for Blake as a result of that. Well, he's also a gentleman, and he's, um, he's a wonderful man, and I'm so glad to see that he's made it back. He's tough and tenacious as well, you know, and such a good rider. And, um, yeah, we're obviously thrilled to have him on her that day. And um, he she was a little bit tricky horse to ride. People rode her and they would want to argue with her a little bit. On the day he rode her, he listened to everything I had to say and he trusted me and he went out and did it. And um, mm. and she did what we thought she could do, which is was a big, a big thing with her. She was so fierce in in her running style and the more you try to restrain her, the harder she would go. Mm. And trying to ask a you know a top level rider or telling the top level rider what she needed was sometimes um, you know, mixed results with that with different riders. Yeah, but sure. Blake Shin, yeah, he nailed it. <laughs> it was great. In her next preparations, she won a benchmark eighty five at Randwick and somehow Damien Oliver got on her this day. Yes, I, I think we may have tried for Blake that day um, and he wasn't available. But, um, look, Damien, I knew him through our West Australian connections and uh, he was riding here and, you know, if you can get that calibre of rider on, we just, we're just trying to find people that would be comfortable doing what I asked them to do and riding them there accordingly. and. Um, we managed to get him, which is fantastic. Well, at her next preparation, she really started to fire. Paul King won a benchmark 85 on her at Rose Hill, and then she ran consecutive seconds in the Civic Stakes, a listed race, and the Winter Stakes, a listed race. She was on her way. Yes, she definitely got the idea. We'd gotten the handle on, on her running pattern, and um, it was a matter of... And, and then Paul started writing work for me, track work, which was a huge help um, to know and understand a filly like this. You know, if you can know them inside out, it's a massive advantage. Mm. And he was very good. He used to come in twice a week and ride her. Um, he'd come and check if she was eating all right. You know, he really he really cared about her. And she, she responded so well to him. And he was such a fantastic front-running rider. He would just be comfortable. I've seen a number of his rides um, you know, on other horses as well. He was just a master at it. Mm. And he was so good at letting her be comfortable. Sometimes she would be a bit too fierce, but there wasn't an awful lot a rider could do about it other than not panic and just cuddle her in the run. And mm. he was he was brilliant at that. Couldn't she run a second? She ran, she oh. ran three terrific seconds uh, in good races. She ran second in the Mona Lisa at Wyong, a race you would love to have won. Yes. She ran second in the Tibby Stakes at Newcastle. That's a Group 3. And yes. she ran second in the Golden Pendant at Rose Hill. So that was her fifth second in a stakes <laughs> race. 
Yeah, that, that's right. She could run a. <laughs> we always joke that we should have called a one blue instead of two blue. We might have <laughs> had some better results. <laughs> but um, look, she her running style, of course, left her being a bit of a sitting duck. Um, early on in the days, we tried to to tone that down, run her back in the field. It just it never worked. She always wanted to lead them up. She always wanted to be there. Um, unfortunately, it left her vulnerable for very good riders sitting behind her and just picking her off at the last minute um she would fight to the death and if you ever watched those races where she's run second past the line she goes back past them again i don't think there was ever a day where Mm. she felt she'd been beaten um you know she just she just wouldn't have it not even in track work yeah but uh yeah she a lot of nail-biting finishes with her her last win was in a group two. That was the Sapphire Stakes at Randwick. Paul King again on board. Then she ran second in the Godolphin Crown at Hawkesbury. That was a group three. You took her to Brisbane where she had her last three runs. She ran a good fourth in the BTC Cup and then was unplaced in the big ones, the 10,000 and the Stradbroke, and you thought it was time to call it quits. Yeah, her run in the BTC was enormous. She actually got galloped on in the finish. Otherwise, I believe she would have definitely run a place. Um, and then in the following race, they just they went far too hard early from the barriers. Um, I think they ran their first six hundred and thirty-two from the gate. Something it was um, it was very 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 fast time, and. Um, she just worked too hard. They pressured her from the outside. She was a natural leader in the race. Um, there were a couple other horses, a lot of trainers upset about how their horses were ridden that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, our horse was probably the natural leader in the race, but maybe could have taken a sit with such speed there. It's hard to say. You'd love a crystal ball to see how things would pan out. But ultimately, she worked far too hard, and I should have brought her home after that race. But in the stable – and up there, we were up there for the campaign. She seemed to have pulled up well enough from it, but it really took the wind out of her sails. And we should never really have run in the Stradbroke, I believe. We should have come home. Mm. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. It is. It is. And we had a goal and we were up there and we were, you know, and she seemed happy in herself, but they just, they can't run races like that and um, and go again two weeks later. Yeah. Uh, it was just too much of an ask. And she was rising eight by that stage. and and. Um, we did consider bringing her back for another preparation, but she was raced under release and it was time for her to go back, go to the stallion and go to stud. So we, we didn't resume with her. Now, Paul King, who did such a wonderful job for you, Kristen, has retired from race riding. He's moved on to other things. In fact, he's moved on to a pretty good job, I hear. Yes, he's doing very well. Uh, I believe he's doing a lot of bloodstock work for, for Orbis and um, – doing an enormous job there. I see him pop in at Wild every now and then. They have some uh, horses in work there and he comes in and jumps on occasionally to have a feel of the baby. So he's still quite active in his riding, mm. not a, nowhere, not race riding obviously, but um, and he's globetrotting, going to international sales and checking their horses at all their different locations. So he's doing a very good job and he was always such a, a fantastic judge of a young horse. Um, we, you know, we really miss having him in our stable and um, and I, I'm sure they've acquired a very, very good help there. You would have known Paul King in Perth, I imagine. He was a fairly successful jockey there uh, before coming east. He had that famous nickname which stuck when he <laughs> came to New South Wales, Duck P. King. Yes. 
yes. Oh, look, I didn't really know. I'll be honest. I didn't really know him in Perth. I knew of him, of course. Um, but I only raced a handful of horses and I was really, you know, I, I was second tier and then I was breaking in and pre-training. So I wasn't really in amongst the, the groups there. Um, but it was seemed a natural when he came to New South Wales, the connection was there and everyone kind of pushed us together to, to talk and things. So it evolved quite naturally once we were both in New South Wales. 2019 English Select Yearling Sales Series is almost upon us, with close to 3,000 yearlings to be offered through the Southern Hemisphere's number one equine auction house. Catalogues for the Sydney Classic Yearling Sale and the Melbourne Premier Sale are now available online at english.com.au and in hard copy, while the Easter Preview magazine featuring almost 500 world-class pedigrees is also ready for your perusal. 1,013 horses will be offered at the Classic Sale, beginning at the Riverside Stables on the night of Saturday, February the 9th, directly after the English race day at Warwick Farm. In a stunning catalogue, there are relations to 76 stakes winners, including eight group winners, and the progeny of 103 stakes winning mares, including 10 group one winners. Riverside Stables will be hosting sheer quality at the 2019 Classic Yearling Sale. You're champing at the bit at the moment, waiting for your second favourite horse to come back into the stable, Echo Effect. He's a five-year-old gelding. He's done very little racing, 17 starts, three wins, half a dozen placings. He suffers foot problems and he's pretty difficult to train, but he can gallop. He can certainly gallop. He's the machine. Um, he has been a bit tricky. He's by reset. They're renowned to take a little while to mature mentally. Um, but, uh, look, he's had some time now to recover from his foot issues and and also to grow up a little bit. And, you know, I, he was he was very, again, another one of my horses, fierce going, um, very tenacious, wants to be a racehorse, wants to win, wants to do it. Uh, all his own way, and sometimes they can be their own worst enemy a little bit. But um, uh, some of his runs, he's gone a bit too hard. But if you try and restrain him too much, he'll spit the bits. And he's mm. tricky. He's a tricky horse to ride in a race. He's a lovely horse to train um, and ride work on, but he's a tricky horse to ride in a race. Yeah, and yeah. I'm yeah, hoping a bit more time to mature and just cool his jets a little bit. We'll put him in good stead this time around. He comes in tomorrow. Well, Echo Effect uh, got you a little bit excited when he was an early four-year-old. You took him to Melbourne and he ran third in a Group 3 at Caulfield, beaten just over a length. Damien Oliver wrote him that day. What did Damien say? Damien said that um, when he learns to relax, he'll be a very, very good horse. But if you watch the race, you see that mid-race when they slacken tempo, he wants to he wants to beat them and he gets going from the 700 and rolls three deep around them and there's honestly not much a rider can do about it they just have to pop yeah. their hands down and and go with him and keep him as as cool as possible but when the horse decides he's going he's going and um yeah. it's a matter of trying to nurse him there and i thought he ran an enormous race he shows his qualities but again cost himself really because he has to cover an extra gosh knows how much further than the winner that stayed on the rail. Mm. Um, if you could just be a bit more sensible, he'll be a real horse to be reckoned with. 
He's been in pre-training, Kristen, so he won't take too long to get to the trials. In saying that, John, I won't be rushing him because I'd like to wait until our tracks are softening up. We've had so much hot weather and such firm tracks and uh, we really need a bit of rain around for him. So I will, although we have races in mind for him, I'm in no rush and ultimately we'll be waiting until the tracks soften up before Mm. he's put under too much pressure. Now, the gelding with the mayor's name, Nico Bell, uh, he's won half a dozen races. He won at Randwick last November. Might have been Melbourne Cup Day. Where is he, Nico Bell? He's in the paddock at the moment. He's had a, a well-earned break. He seems to go good for three or four runs, and then he goes off the boil. So we only give him short preps and short breaks, and then we go again with him. Mm. Um, he's he's very very good third up. He's third and fourth. Right, like his runs three, four, and five are his best, and then he's usually ready to go out for a spell again. Mm. Um, Lovely big horse. I'd love to take him to Queensland. Um, we'll see what happens this time in, but he's not far off resuming as well. He'll start pre-training mm. shortly. I was watching Sky Channel at, for a Wyong meeting last November and I saw one of yours win an ordinary race, admittedly, but he did win by nine lengths. I couldn't believe it. A horse called Jazzland. Doesn't matter how weak they are behind you, it's hard to win a race by nine lengths. Yes, he's a very good horse um, and very excited about the future for him because he's still quite immature mentally, physically. He's looked like a big foal, like a big mm. foal. He's 16, two hands high. He's well grown, but mm. you can see he's nowhere near, you know, fully mature yet. Um, and his e-tracker tracings are phenomenal. He has an enormous stride length, um, just covers the ground so easily. He has amazing recovery after work. I think that race day, the swab ladies asked us if he uh, had even raced. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, he could just go another lap. He's he's unreal. He's he's so aerobic. He's got such a high aerobic capacity in his work. Um, mm. He really is a staying machine, and I can't wait to get back him back in and um, get going with him. But, again, patience. He needs his good eight-week spell to, mm. to furnish and then um, – and then we'll have him in and ready for, you know, late autumn, winter, and he can go through his grades. Yep. His name again, Jazzland. Now, Kristen, mm. you speak highly of a four-year-old mare called Bidden Bear. She's only had four starts. She's won two of them at Taree and Musselbrook. Why was she such a late starter? She was a hot-headed horse at the sales. Um, she, she quite a fiery filly, a sensitive fiery filly. And um, most of my better horses are. I think I'm repeating myself, aren't I? But she, mm. she was uh, when she came to us from the breakers. She had an incident in the barriers, and um, she frightened herself. And it took a long time to get her confidence back. With that, she'd been to several experts in the trade, um, DPR, DG Breaking, Daniel Gooley. A lot of good people have done a lot of work with her, and fortunately. Our owner, Bruce Mackey, has been super patient with her again because she's just, unless you've got a horse that's safe in the barriers, you, you're wasting your time going to the races. So, um, and that's all come together nicely. She will walk in and out and she, her, her last preparation, we had no issues with her in the gates. So we really, uh, Jeff Keogh too, he rides work for me and he's done an enormous job with her. We take her out to the barriers you know, a couple of times a week and we don't even put it through. We just walk her around and mm. make it no big deal. Um, it's all about just keeping the adrenaline 
out of the equation. Yeah. Um, we've got enough of that to deal with on race day. Uh, but if she can go to the races as cool, calm and collected as possible, then um, there's no issues with her being able to gallop. That's all there, but we can't have her bringing herself undone at the gates before no, the race. You've got to fix her head. That's right. That's right. And it's just time. It's yeah. not – there's nothing we can force, you know, and um, it's being kind and, and having her not get stressed and being through to her. So a lot of time spent there, but – I believe in the long run will be very worthwhile. She's one of my mm. top picks for um, for the provincial championships from our stable. I think good, she may good. she may make it there again. High pressure racing though, so it may not be this year. It might be next year that she she gets to a race like that. We'll have to wait and see how she comes up. You like to train your horses with the aid of a gadget called the e tracker, which you actually attach to your horses during track gallops. What does it tell you? Oh, it gives us a whole heap of information, but basically it's a heart rate monitor and uh, and GPS system. So we can see their exact speeds and their corresponding heart rates throughout their workout. Uh, it also allows me to calculate um, their average stride length, um, which, as you could imagine, Changing over time can give you indications as to what tracks they will handle, uh, if there's any um, soreness, if their stride is shortening significantly. Uh, it's actually how I picked up on two blues chips in a fetlocks. She mm. has stride length shorted by uh, 20 centimetres, her average stride length. And um, and then, so it's like a red flag to go and look for different things. Um, mm. it, it, your top 5% of horses and your bottom 5% stand out very obviously. So for me, with our youngsters coming through, um, at the price bracket we have to spend at the moment for the stables on the sales, mm. we're not able to buy, you know, schnitzels and, and horses of very, very good pages and calibre like that. But we can afford to buy good quality but slower maturing horses. Mm. Um, and, of course, the art is to spend a lot of time on the right horses and, and, then, um, and to know the difference between the two. So that can be hard with horses that aren't, early goers or that stay they don't you know usually jump out and and or often don't jump out and show you immediately in their track work but this gives me a lot of background information to to gauge what their potential is um and you know in terms of you want a horse that covers the ground easily good stride length um economy of motion good recovery after work if a horse recovers well it means that their work is not taxing them which you know, you can. There's a whole lot of factors involved that that help me assess what horses are, are worth doing a lot of work on, spending two or three years on, really, of my time and mm. owners' money before we get a result. Um, and and it's, they're important decisions to make. You need the as much help as you can to make them. Now, Kristen, we have to give the appropriate acknowledgement to your mother, Lorraine, who knew nothing about horses early on. But she has sure learned a lot. <laughs> she has. She's an amazing woman. She's 72 um, and fitter than most women half her age. I got home one day and she was up a, a ladder with a bungee cord around her, uh, chainsawing off a tree branch. So this is the kind of... <laughs> oh, kind of mother you've <laughs> she, got. <laughs> <laughs> she's unreal. She can do anything and she does. She'll be out fencing or, you know, she does it at her own speed, but... She's amazing. She helps me with my little girl, Mackenzie. Um, and, yeah, truly, without her support, 
I don't think I could be doing what I'm doing. I certainly couldn't have the freedom to have 20 horses in work and no. go to races and things like that without her help and support. She is a rock. Well, your daughter Mackenzie is five and she likes the horses, but she's got plenty of other interests as well and that's a healthy thing. I believe she named one of your horses not long ago, Red Cupcake. As it, I think it's <laughs> one since too. She did. She won her first start uh, mm. with Jeff on board, and uh, and ran second at the next start. So uh, she was she was she's been a pet at our farm. You see, so she she had a, a quite a severe suspensory injury as a baby, um, as a two year old, unfortunately. And so uh, with discussions with owners, we decided to retire her. But most of my retirees end up at my place until we find them good homes and um, you know do that. Well, all of our horses are. They're, they're like they're, they're like family really um and she was a particular favorite she was a very sweet kind mare and Mackenzie would come with me every day to to feed her in the uh, retirees paddock and um yeah she always called a cupcake because she was a little bit on the tubby side yeah so when the time came to race her I, uh, and she stayed sound we kind of played around with her we weren't, weren't sure if she'd come back or not and um so when she was six, we thought, oh, well, she looked too good to just just retire. So we, we decided to, to give it a try and see see how she went. And um, anyway, when it was time to name her, McKen- I asked Mackenzie what she'd like to call her, seeing it was her pony. And, uh, and she came up with Red Cupcake and couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, be, couldn't be swayed. She's very, my daughter is, uh, I think it's from the damn line. When she wants something, she's very adamant about it. She's hard to <laughs> yeah, we've, we've established that. <laughs> Well, you've been a commercial horse trainer for 10 years uh, based on the Central Coast at Wyong. You have already uh, made an indelible mark. Uh, You do things very professionally and very thoroughly and uh, we've seen the results on the track time and time again. Congratulations on a big job. Well done so far. Still much to do, Kristen. It's all pretty exciting. Lots to do. Thank you, John. Now, I'm, I'm proud of what we've achieved so far. We've got so much more to do and, uh, you know, a lot of exciting horses coming through. So I'm looking forward to the next couple of years. And this podcast has been produced by Supernova Sound. The 2019 Sydney Classic Yearling Sale will entail four days of Book One, February the 9th to the 12th, when 808 yearlings will be offered and the highway session, book two, February the 14th, which will see a further 205 youngsters go under the hammer. Wednesday the 13th of February will be a highway race day at Warwick Farm, featuring two highway handicaps, one for country trained horses, one for provincial trained horses. If the winner of either highway race is an eligible English graduate, the winning trainer will receive a $50,000 credit voucher to spend at the highway session the following day. In recent years, the classic sale has produced horses like She Will Reign, Yankee Rose, Extreme Choice, Extra Brute, I Am A Star, Hellbent and Maid of Heaven, all distinguished Group 1 winners. Top horses just keep turning up from the Sydney Classic Yearling Sale.